0: Well, our topic this evening is homosexuality, and it's an important topic for us to consider for a number of reasons. It has become increasingly in the spotlight in uh, recent years. Last year, I think it was in Australia, that same-sex marriage was legally uh, allowed, following a similar decision in many Western nations before it. Uh, Just last month, of course, Taiwan followed suit, and uh, it's been claimed by uh, some uh, gay lobbyists uh, that, uh, ac- that uh, as many as uh, 10% of people identify as LGBTI. Uh, uh, but according to the US statistics, it's much less than that. According to the US statistics, 2.8% of males, 0.4% of women, but uh, only a much smaller percentage of those have had only same sex partners since the age of 18, and there are very few, you can see, same sex households in the US. Uh, now, this has not just been a, a, a political uh, issue and matters for law, it's been an issue in the church as well. Uh, and in the last few years, our, our, our diocese, to which this church belongs, uh, has had to formally break communion with at least four other provinces in other parts of the world. Uh, Because of their decision to to not only allow same-sex weddings in churches, but to ordain uh, practicing homosexuals as ministers and even as as uh, bishops Uh, And so the Anglican Church in uh, North America, they're known as the Episcopal Church Uh, You can find the following statement published on their website The church has continued its work towards full inclusion of lesbian gay bisexual and transgender Episcopalians in 2003, the first openly gay bishop was consecrated. In 2009, the General Convention resolved that God's call is, an, is open to all. In 2012, a provisional right of blessing for same-gender relationships was authorized, and discrimination against trans- transgender persons in the ordination process was officially prohibited. And in 2015, the canons of the church were changed To make the right of marriage available to all people, regardless of gender. To our lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender brothers, sisters, and siblings, the Episcopal Church welcomes you. Well, that's their statement, and they try to justify that position from the Bible. They would say God is love, and he wants us to love one another. And so if two people of the same sex love each other, and they want to commit their lives together in marriage... We should allow them. It doesn't hurt anyone. In fact, uh, we should be tolerant because Jesus, after all, was tolerant to tax collectors and prostitutes. He welcomed all. Well, I wonder what you think of such a position. I wonder what you think uh, our position should be as a church. But, of course, the issues go beyond uh, politics and belong church politics Uh, Many times it touches us personally and I know some of us here this this evening struggle with same-sex attraction Uh, Perhaps some of us this evening have acted on those attractions in the past or even in the present and We want to know how we should act Others of us uh, know people who struggle with same-sex attraction and we want to know how to care for them it's an issue that's hard to talk about but it's one that we need to talk about. And once again as we've seen all through this series I suspect we will encounter some things in God's word that we find difficult that are hard to say and hard to accept. But as I begin I want you to know that whatever I'm saying I say it with the greatest of love and from to convi- from the conviction That God's way really is best and so as we come to this sin or any sin we do so remembering that we are all failures and there is forgiveness as we come to Christ our Savior well you might remember where we began in the series we saw in the Garden of Eden that God had but one rule Humanity was forbidden from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil It was God's way of saying that he is God and we are not and only he has the the right to decide what is right and Wrong right and wrong is not left to our preference, and right and wrong is not left to the majority opinion of society And so far in the series, we've seen God's good design for marriage and sex. God has created us equal but different, complementary but not identical. He's made us in the image of God, equal in dignity and value, but he's made us two different genders that have different roles. And we've seen that God's good design for marriage was a lifelong intimate union between a man and a woman, a union that was intended to to showcase to the world the ultimate marriage relationship between Jesus and the church. Uh, And we saw that the reason God designed marriage in that way, with two genders, with different roles, was because Christ and the church are not the same. Husbands are to love like Christ loves the church. Wives are to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. And in view of God's design for marriage, the Bible is then very clear that homosexual practice is an expression of human sinfulness. And that's the first point this evening. Well, the first place we encounter homosexual practice is in Genesis 19 at Sodom and Gomorrah. We read on the screen, But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, All of the people to the last men surrounded the house, and they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any men. Let, Let me bring them out to you, and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men." for they've come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he's become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Now there's some questionable morals with Lot's response as well, is there not? But here is a city intent on the gang rape of Lot's guests in an act of homosexual sex. And Lot describes it as wickedness. Our God's response in the following chapter is swift. Moments later, Lot escapes, and the city is destroyed by fire from heaven. Or later in the Bible, the homosexual act is specifically forbidden in the strongest of ter- terms in God's law. We read from Leviticus 18 just now You shall not lie with a male as with a woman, it is an abomination. And so serious was this sin that it was a capital offense. You can go to the next slide. So in Leviticus chapter 20, uh, we read In Leviticus chapter 20, we read this. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. And in John, Judges chapter 19, we see a repeat example of Sodom and Gomorrah, but this time it's, it's within God's people Israel. And the author is seeking to show us just how uh, the depth of Israel's sin at that dark time. Again, it's a horrific read. As they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, surrounded the house, beating on the door. And they said to the old man, the master of the house... Bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him. And the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my brothers, do not act so wickedly since this man has come into my house. Do not do this vile thing against this man. Do not do this outrageous thing. And again, we notice the, the words the Bible uses to describe the homosexual act here. Wicked, vile. Outrageous. They are strong descriptions. It is severe punishment in the Old Testament. And it shows how God is opposed to it. And just because we're not no longer under the Old Testament law doesn't mean that the Bible's standards on sexuality have changed. The same uh, strong descriptions and severe punishments. Are repeated in the new testament as well so we look at 1 timothy chapter 1 verse 8 to 11 now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully understanding this that the law is not laid down for the just but for the lawless and disobedient for the ungodly and sinners for the unholy and profane for those who strike their fathers and mothers for murderers for the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine according to the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So again, homosexuality is described in this passage as one of the many things that ungodly and sinful people do. And that uh, same evaluation is made in that New Testament passage that we read from Romans chapter 1, if you can look on it with me. We read in Romans 1 verse 18, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We see here that God is angry with humanity. God is angry with our unrighteousness and our ungodliness. And part of the way that this is expressed is in our attitude to the truth. We're told that, that, that sinful human beings like to, to bend or twist the truth according to our own preferences. Uh, I think, uh, if you like, it's a bit like the fake news of, uh, of Donald Trump. Uh, sinful human beings uh, twist the truth whenever they don't like it, what it says. So for Donald Trump, if he doesn't like it, it's fake news. And the Bible says that's a bit like what we do with God the Creator. We read on in verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has, made it, has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So he's saying you should be able to just look out on the world and, and know that there is a powerful eternal God who must have created it all. But we failed to respond, verse 21, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. And and, and so in this passage, sin is not just doing wrong things. Those are like the symptoms, if you like. Uh, The disease of sin is in our hearts. It is our, it's our denial of God's rightful rule over us. It's when we refuse to treat God as God and give him the honor he deserves and instead we create our own gods that resemble us to follow instead. And on many occasions this means that we that we remold or we we reshape our God into the God of our own liking. I think we see that in many parts of the church that that teach that homosexuality is not a sin. They say God is love, and since two people of the same sex love each other, it honors God and it should be allowed. But it should be quite clear, just from those Bible passages that we just read, that that is not the God of the Bible. It's the God of their own imagination. Because they've created a God who is loving, but not holy. A God who wants us to be happy, rather than a God who wants us to glorify him. And that is the heart of sin. It is a rejection of the true God. It is a failure to honor the God who is real, and instead replacing him with a a false God of our own imagination that we would worship instead, that justifies our behaviors. And this attitude of rebellion is expressed in our actions uh, when we reject God's rightful uh, rule over us we then decide for ourselves how we want to live and God's law then becomes subject to our preference but the thing is different people express this rebellion in different ways uh, of course we, we, we all lie and we all get angry and we're all proud and we're all greedy and all of those things But there are some sins that we struggle with that other people do not. For some, it's alcoholism. Others, it's gambling. For some, it's pornography or something else. And and Romans 1 goes on to suggest that that one way our sinfulness is, is particularly expressed is in our rejection of God's purposes for sex as we succumb to our own desires. Look at verse 24. Therefore, so because we reject God, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonouring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Now notice it's not talking about uh, homosexuality specifically at this point. Uh, we saw in Leviticus 18 that there are many sexual sins there. Uh, Whether it's, uh, you know, incest or bestiality or homosexuality or adultery or there's a whole long list of sexual sins in the Bible But what God's Word is saying here is that when we reject the truth about God God deliberately gives us up actively uh, To carry out our own fleshly desires Now, we have to be a bit careful here. We're not saying that if if someone struggles with same-sex attraction, that that struggle must be directly linked to some previous sin in their life. Rather, what we mean here is that uh, God gives up humanity in uh, in general patterns of behavior as we reject his loving rule. And so uh, it is common that in a world that rejects God and turns their back on God and creates idols to replace God, one of the most evident places that is seen is in our sexuality and having given this general framework homosexuality is then specified as an example and once again we notice it's not the only example here verses 28 to 32 have a a whole other list of sins that God gives us up to envy and uh, and malice and boasting and and greed and on it goes but verses 26 and 27 nevertheless do describe homosexuality as a particular serious sin. Look at verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And again, we note the very strong language that is used here. Dishonorable passions, contrary to nature, shameless acts, due penalty for their error. It's very clear from all of those verses that the Bible sees homosexuality as a sin. That's an inescapable conclusion. And Look again at those verses the the reason why the Bible says that it is wrong is that it is contrary to nature Did you see that in uh, in verse 26 there women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature? The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another So what what does it mean that homosexuality is is contrary to nature? Uh, Well, nature here, it refers to God's deliberate design for marriage in creation. Uh, And that that design is is quite clear, simply from from our genitalia, our sexual organs. Our sexual organs as men and women are clearly designed for sex between a man and a woman, leading to procreation and not for same sex. And so homosexuality is... Is, is against the order of nature. Well what then do we do with the often made claim that I was born this way, uh, I've always felt this way, this is who I am, I need to be true to myself. And the first thing I would say here is that that in a court of law I can I can never appeal to my genes as my defense. Is that, is that right? Yeah, you can back me up on this. So I I can't say my genes made me kill that person Right or my genes made me turn into a pedophile Or my genetic makeup meant that I had to have sex with that animal or something like that No, we're we're always held responsible for our actions and genes uh, Do not excuse them now, that does not mean that our genetic makeup does not leave us with a predisposition towards certain behaviors. Uh, just as some are predisposed to diabetes, so also it is logical that some would be predisposed to same sex attraction. Now, some of you know that I have a, uh, a genetic disease called celiac disease. It's an autoimmune disease that means that if I eat gluten, i.e., wheat, That my body will attack the gluten and my stomach that it's sticking to and destroy my stomach wonderful disease to have now celiac disease has been linked to certain genes and uh, Don't worry because those genes are only carried by Westerners and not by Asians. You have your own genetic diseases (laughs) But 50% of Australians carry those genes and only 10% of them have celiac disease. Now, why is that? It's because genes alone don't make someone get sick and neither do genes alone cause behavior. Now, there has been a lot of research that has been done on homosexuality and essentially what the research has found so far is that there, there can be a biological basis linked to a tendency to homosexual behavior. So Simon LeVay found that uh, the anterior hypothalamus, is that right, is there any doctors here? Right, was more than twice as large in heterosexual men as in homosexual men, and it was the same size in homosexual men as it was in women. And LeVay writes that this finding indicates that this is dimorphic, I think that means it lines up or something, with sexual orientation, at least in men, and suggests that sexual orientation has a biological substrate. Now, what do you make of a study like that? Uh, One of the weaknesses of that first study is that uh, the observations were made on adults who had already been uh, sexually active for a number of years, and many of them were recruited uh, from from, uh, homosexual associations and so to make a real a really compelling case for this uh, you would have to show that these uh, differences in brain structure exist from birth preferably and, and without such uh, data there's always the possibility that the, the changes in the brain are due to the behavior and rather than the other way around now levay uh, cautions against misinterpreting his findings of a gay gene Uh, or something like that in in an interview. He says this, It's important to stress what I didn't find. I did not prove that homosexuality is genetic or find a genetic cause for being gay. I didn't show that gay men are born that way, the most common mistake that people make in interpreting my work. Nor did I locate a gay centre in the brain. The INAH3 is less likely to be the sole gay nucleus of the brain than part of a chain of nuclei Engaged in men and women's sexual behavior in other words Even if there is some form of biological basis the tendency is not fated Now this was demonstrated in two uh, uh, Clearly in some twin studies that were carried out after this So Bailey and uh, and they looked for the occurrence of homosexuality among brothers and they saw 52 percent of identical twins uh, of homosexual men were likewise homosexuals 22% for fraternal twins and 11% for adopted brothers. There's the environmental factor and So whilst it's much more likely that if you're an identical twin who has a homosexual brother that you also will be It's not 100% and the similar results were found among women uh, 48% uh, of identical twins Uh, were likewise lesbian. 16% of fraternal twins were likewise uh, homosexual and 6% of adopted sisters were also homosexual. So again whilst it's much more likely if you are an identical twin it's still only 50% or so. Uh, Now again one of the problems with this study is that people were recruited from gay and lesbian associations and by advertisements which biased the results and so better research was carried out which uh, recruited people Before they were asked their sexual orientation and the rates became much less than 50% Uh, The biggest study was done at the University of Queensland uh, with 14,000 twins and it found that the percentage reduced to 38% for men and 30% For women now all that all that research shows uh, Is that there there is some kind of genetic component if you like, but it's not inescapable If it was the percentages would be 100% but they're not they're around 30% And so genes by themselves do not make us behave in particular ways. They create a tendency perhaps but not a tyranny And so what that means is that no one is born gay Uh, Apart from genetics there must be environmental factors that have a part to play and on the whole, this is not well understood. Here's a few quotes from a few medical associations. They say this Currently, there is no scientific consensus about the specific factors that cause an individual to be heterosexual, homosexual, or bisexual, including possible biological, psychological, or social effects of the parent's sexual orientation. However, the available evidence indicates the vast majority of lesbian and gay adults were raised by heterosexual parents and the vast majority of children raised by lesbian and gay parents eventually grow up to be heterosexual. And then the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics, these quotes are a bit old, but uh, Uh, They should be fairly accurate sexual orientation probably is not determined in any one factor but by a combination of genetic hormonal and environmental influences in recent decades Biological based theories have been favored by experts although there continues to be controversy and uncertainty as to the genesis of the variety of human sexual orientations There is no scientific evidence that abnormal parenting sexual abuse or other adverse life events influence sexual orientation current knowledge suggests that sexual orientation is usually established during early childhood now even then those quotes are quite different from each other you might have noticed and So whilst we can conclude perhaps that some people have a greater tendency towards same-sex attraction either because of genetics or because of the environment that they grew up in We cannot say that God made people gay. Now, moreover, it's uh, important that we distinguish between attraction and between action. See, uh, regardless of the genetic or an environmental basis for feelings of same-sex attraction, it's one thing to have feelings of same-sex attraction, and it's another thing to act on those feelings. In a sexual act see just because you have the desire to do something Doesn't mean that you have to do it Uh, This is what the Bible describes as temptation Now of course lust is still wrong. It doesn't matter which gender it's directed towards But it's what's done with the with the feelings. What's what's done with the temptation that that matters it's when I give into the feelings either through lust or through some action That it constitutes sin. It's not having the the attraction or the temptation itself. And so we've seen so far that uh, that homosexual practice is an expression of human sinfulness, and we've seen that homosexual practice is not natural. And the third point we see is that homosexual practice will be judged. And that is clear in the final uh, relevant New Testament passage in 1 Corinthians. It says this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor, uh, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. Now, it's important to notice in this list, he's he's talking about a habitual and unrepentant behavior. He's not saying that that everyone who's ever been involved in any of these things is automatically disqualified from the kingdom of God. In fact, he points out that some of the Christians were previously doing these things before they were converted. Uh, Secondly, notice that the sin here is practicing Homosexuality, it's not the feelings themselves It's always the practice of homosexuality that is on view and not the attraction and Thirdly notice that both the active and the passive parties Both commit the sin. There's a there's a footnote if you notice next to the word practice homosexuality and there are two Greek terms translated by the phrase and they refer to the passive and the active partners in consensual homosexual acts. So both parties are guilty. And fourthly, notice the clear consequences in the Bible. Do not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. So the Bible says that giving in to these desires in an unrepentant way, it will lead to God's judgment. And that's why, of course, Paul had that impassioned plea last week. Flee from sexual immorality. Don't don't play with fire and, and, and risk getting burnt by it. It's the same for all sin, but it includes homosexual sin as well. And so if this is a struggle for you, then can I please urge you, don't give in to the temptations. Nothing in this world is worth facing God's judgment for. Flee sexual immorality and take the steps you need to to make sure you don't act on the feelings that you have. And can I encourage you to get help? Because it's really important to have someone that you can openly and honestly talk to about these things. I've talked to quite a number of people about this, and I'll be happy to talk to you about it confidentially as well. Well, fourthly, we see wonderful hope in this passage. And that is that homosexual practice can be forgiven if we repent. Look at verse 11 again. It says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And and we saw that last week, isn't it? There is hope in sexual sin. We're all sexual failures in, in one way or another, And the Bible reminds us that no matter what sin we've done, if we will turn to Christ, we can be washed of all of our sins. We can be totally forgiven. We can be sanctified, means we can be made holy and blameless in God's sight. We can be justified, means we can be declared uh, not guilty, be righteous in God's sight. And so every sin can be forgiven, including homosexual sin. But only as we repent and turn to Jesus and his death for us on the cross. Now, there might be some here today who are investigating the Christian faith, and you're not yet a Christian, and I want you to know the amazing forgiveness and liberation and joy that is offered to you as you turn to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. As we look to the cross and what jesus has done for us we can be washed clean and renewed in living for him and that brings us to the fifth point in christ we have a new identity to live out in romans 8 paul writes these words on the screen so then brothers we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh for if you live according to the flesh you will die But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And Paul reminds us in these verses of the wonderful new identity that we have in Christ. Christ. So that what defines us and what gives us value and meaning and purpose in this world uh, is is not our sexual orientation. And choosing to say no to same-sex attraction and to embrace God's design for marriage, it's not a loss of identity and it's not losing myself. It's finding myself, it's finding my ultimate value as a child of God for whom Christ died, being a member of God's own family. And that's the new identity that that Christians must remind themselves of every day and then live out as we put to death our fleshly desires and and choose day by day to to live according to the Spirit, to, to live for the pleasure of our Heavenly Father. And that is a life of true freedom and a life of true joy. The Gospel is the power of God not just to save someone from judgment but to transform their life. And this gospel message is for everyone here this evening. And I want to say if you are struggling with same-sex attraction, I know some of us do, we're really thankful that you're here in this church. And if you're not yet a Christian, I hope that you will find the joy of knowing Jesus as your saviour. If you want to know more about this, you could perhaps read this, this little short book, Is God Anti-Gay? It might answer, answer some of your questions. It's written by Sam Aubrey, who is a pastor who also struggles with same-sex attraction. And if you're a Christian who struggles with this, can I say to you, don't give in to the struggle. And I know it's hard, and I know the battle is long, but keep praying and asking for the Lord's strength to press on in trusting in His Son and pursuing purity in your life. Uh, some people ask, uh, uh, some people who experience same-sex attraction, they ask whether they should expect, ever expect a change of orientation in their desires. And the answer to that question is maybe and maybe not. Uh, there's a friend of mine that I went to, to Bible college with, who's now a pastor, and before he, he was a Christian, he struggled with same-sex attraction. Having, be, having uh, become a Christian, uh, he was he read his Bible and he decided that he would live God's way. And so, it, but it didn't mean for him that the feelings went went away. Now, eventually, he went to a Bible college, and eventually, he got married to his beautiful wife, and they now have several children together. And like I said, he serves as a pastor but our desires may change, but they may not change and That may mean that we never get married Or we never engage in sexual behavior and that might be something that's very difficult for us and Here developing good non-sexual friendships where you're accepted and valued is really really important And the wonderful news is that one day Jesus will return And if we remain faithful to him then we look forward not not just to eternal life in his kingdom but we look forward to a whole new resurrection body that's free of the feelings of same-sex attraction we'll be able to glorify god in our bodies forever and ever that's a wonderful hope that we have now for the rest of us And I encourage us to be a community who love and support those who struggle with same-sex attraction I don't mean condoning the sin But I do mean pointing to the Savior who can rescue them And we're to love one another whatever the temptations that we face And we all battle against temptation in our lives Uh, We're not to to, to judge those with same-sex attraction as if we never experienced any uh, temptations ourselves uh, the Christian with uh, with uh, homosexual temptations, the Christian with heterosexual temptations, the Christian who's tempted to be greedy or to lie or to cheat—it's all temptation. It's all, it's all the same tendency to sin. We're not better than each other. Now, I suspect uh, most Christians in Malaysia are not really in danger of joining those who refuse to accept God's word on this matter. Uh, and embrace homosexual activity as being a good thing. It's a very conservative society. I think it's far more likely that we'll end up being unloving and hypocritical and reject people who are struggling with unwanted desires and are seeking to live a repentant life. And it's right that we tell them that it, uh, not to sin by engaging in this behaviour. Of course, we must do this. But We must support them as they seek to resist And we must never be frightened of gay people Or give the impression that we reject them Our churches should be places where same-sex attracted people can happily come and explore the Christian faith And we pray they will know Christ in the end And so if someone ever does uh, share their struggles with you, it's a very big deal Don't react in shock Thank them for their trust. Assure them that you'll walk with them. Listen to them carefully. Find out how they're really going. Point them to Christ. Pray for them. I pray that this will be a community that befriends and upholds people as they fight against temptation. A community that will put in the effort to really love people and never shun people. are struggling to live God's way Uh, in the end of course we're all sinners in need of God's grace and we need to keep pointing each other to our Savior and of course when the wider church or, or the society denies the teachings of the Bible of course we will need to take our stand on Scripture And that may mean that we have to break fellowship with groups like the Episcopal Church in America, as our diocese has done. Now, of course we have to do that. And it's because we believe God's way is best. And only Christ has the words of eternal life. And so we want to cling to Jesus and keep pointing people to Him, who is the real hope in whatever temptations that they face well let's let's pray our heavenly father we want to thank you once again that um, no matter what sin we have committed in our life that you sent your son the lord jesus christ to die on the cross for us we thank you for your great love for sinful people like us We thank you for the forgiveness. We thank you for the fresh start that we can have as we turn to you. And we thank you for your spirit that is within us, reminding us of our new identity in Christ and helping us to choose your way day by day. Father, we do pray for those who struggle with same-sex attraction that you would help them to find their joy and peace in Christ. Father, we pray that you would help them to resist the temptation and to live in your ways. And Father, we pray that our church will indeed be a place that loves, supports, and encourages people as they, can, as they search for Christ and as they seek to live his way. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.